0: The Exton Moss Experiment Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss Episode 7 Quatermass 2 Hello everyone, I'm Ken Moss I'm Simon Exton And welcome to the next in our series of podcasts. Today, we are going to watch Quatermass 2 from
1: 1957. 55. 55. So it started, the first transmission, episode one, The Bolts, on the 22nd of October, 1955, and then for the next six weeks, finishing with the sixth episode, The Destroyers, on the 26th of November, 1955. Again, written by Nigel Neal, directed by Rudolf Cartier, a replacement actor for the lead role of
0: Quasimodo, who had died. He was signed up for this though. Yes, he, he was. He died uh, just before it started though.
1: Uh, which is why, when we come to see the first episode, he's very, very clearly reading scripts off clipboards and bits of furniture because he mm. w- he really was parachuted in at the very last minute.
0: Again, I have not seen this before, I've not seen that, or the third one, The Pit, so I am coming to this completely fresh, but having watched the existing two episodes of the first Quatermass and loved them, I'm really looking forward to this.
1: and we're fortunate in that all six episodes of this and all six episodes of Quatermass and The Pit exist, and for a 1950s TV series, that's doing really
0: That's pretty good, considering a lot of 60s and even 70s stuff's missing. Yeah. Uh, Before we get started, we have a gin review to do.
1: We do. Today we're drinking Jawbone, a Belfast gin. Jawbox. Jawbox, a Belfast gin, and it's lovely. It, um, Absolutely lovely. It's it's not quite as smooth as some of the other gin. gins we've drunk. It's got a bit of an edge to it. It's got a, a cloud in the, in the glass with the mm. tonic water. It's, it's very easy to drink.
0: It is very easy to drink. It's not as sharp as some gins are. But having I mean, t- taken... It's not
1: sharp, there? but it's got a real edge to it. Mm. Quite citrusy.
0: Yeah, it is, because I actually thought that you'd used lemon tonic water when I first took a sip of that, but just ordinary tonic. It's not bad. I mean, we've had it before. In fact, I think... You've had it before. Right? I've I had it, yeah, I've had it before. Karen's got a bottle in her uh, kitchen cupboard. It, well, it's one we've kept coming back to because it's in the cupboard. For myself, it probably wouldn't it's be okay, one of I might be able to help out with that
1: when we meet up with her later. I,
0: I think you... She'll be grateful that uh, we're going to damage the gin stocks in her cupboard.
1: And I'll take some to replace it. Naturally.
0: It's probably not one that I'd gravitate to again deliberately. But as a, as a drink, this isn't,
1: uh, it's, it does the job. You see, I think this is a really, really nice gin. So what are we thinking in terms of Burnets? Mine's. I'm probably going to give that three Burnets. Really? Because mm. I'm going to give this my first five out of five Burnets. Really? Yes. I really like this gin. Well, there we go.
0: Split opinion on that one, boys and girls. I will say this much, though. I don't recollect so far ever having a bad gin. I'm sure they exist. And I've been to gin festivals where some are ones that I wouldn't go for again. But I can't ever say hand on heart. I've had a really bad gin.
1: I have. Um, because there are, there are some where you get such over distilling mm. that you basically end up with Vodka with the label gin on it Because yeah. it retains so little of the flavour Of the botanicals and I've had one or two of those
0: Well I'm hoping that we don't ever Have to award one Bernard On one of these recordings
1: I am i would be prepared to uh, to Give negative Bernards if I thought it was bad enough Negative Bernards negative Bernard. How many um, times
0: has that been said in anger?
1: On the subject of the other Bernard
0: Let's move on to what hopefully I'm sure will be a positive Bernard The first episode of Quatermas 2 <laughs> Okay, first episode down, and the one thing that strikes me is, as you pointed out, in two years, the picture quality has improved considerably.
1: It has, and there's also an awful lot of outside filming.
0: There is. Now, according to the notes on Wikipedia, they doubled the budget for this one. You've got the Andrew Pixley notes with you. Did they... the special effects, which I noticed there are actually some in this one... Was this still Nigel Neal building his own, or had they?
1: I believe so, and I've had a quick look through the episode guide. It doesn't really say anything about it, and I got that information from Nigel Neal's autobiography. Mm. I would need to check that to be uh, to be certain. It has been
0: noted um, that uh, the opening of the episode is is fairly comparable to Spearhead from Space in terms of the opening radar this shot is almost identical, and then there's meteorites. Landing rather than just falling to Earth within a, a specific boundary.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the production team at the time that To Be from Space was done recognised and acknowledged that um, the fact that they were plagiarising. Copying, I think. But yeah, it, it's a, a very almost identical scene in a lot of ways.
0: The OB filming does um, introduce us to the world's first silent tractor. The, the tracks are <laughs> completely silent, uh, but as the farmer jumps down, there's a colossal boot thud. Uh, more work needed for team.
1: It was early days. I think compared to Quatermass Experiment, this is a, a faster-paced first episode. Yes, it is. That definitely. kind of meandered along a little bit. And don't get me wrong, there's still those nice character touches from Nigel Neal in there. Mm. Um, we see a old bloke in a pub who's... Gives it gives some fairly a bit of local color, yeah. But it's giving local color as well. And
0: I know it's been pointed out that John Robinson, who plays Quatermass in this, he was parachuted in quite late in the day.
1: Yes, because Reginald Tate unfortunately had a um, had a heart attack not long before the filming of uh, part one was due to start, mm.
0: uh, which is a shame because he's not Reginald Tate uh, or comparable, really. And. It, it, there's nothing bad... To be fair to him, there's nothing bad give, about
1: give it. Give him a couple of episodes to find find his feet.
0: Well, all I was going to say was, there's nothing bad about it. The only trouble yeah. is, you can't help but compare him to Reginald Tate.
1: Yeah, and... So he's this, on a loser already. Because every Quatermass serial has a different Quatermass. Yeah. So by the time we get to Quatermass in the Pit, it's Andre Morel.
0: But I didn't think... Even though you know it's it's widely documented that he was reading off clipboards and things, I didn't actually think it was that noticeable.
1: It's noticeable once you know to look for it.
0: Well, I was looking for it, and he, I didn't. I still didn't think it was that bad. I can forgive that to an extent. Oh time. yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm. And in later episodes, he gets more comfortable in the role. Mm. At the moment, it's a, a pretty bread and butter portrayal, but he gets further into it by the time we get get sort of later episodes. He's also a bit more proactive than he was in the, the Mass experiment. In the Mass experiment, there were lots of other people around him running about, mm. whereas he's the one that disappears off with, um, with Dylan and investigates things.
0: It's all terribly RP. His daughter's uh, very far back. Terribly, terribly far back. Father, um, and she stands out more than anybody else, even for the period. Another thing that struck me, although he did address it immediately, was... Well, Dr.
1: Pugh is conspicuously Welsh. Yes,
0: yes, to be fair. Yes, I'll give him
1: that. A little bit of a a regional accent there.
0: But Quatermass 1 um, went much further than it should and killed three men horribly. And then Quatermass 2 blew up in a nuclear ball in Australia. And killed four men
1: horribly. So Um, he's...
0: His, his, he's racking up the death toll well his record of rockets isn't too good um, he should give it up and he does almost immediately until somebody just conveniently walks through the door and says Bernard there's a <laughs> hey, hello uh, what's this Mr Chomley Warner <laughs> would like me to talk to you <laughs> So we've got to the end of episode one, and uh, they've just conveniently driven straight into a secret government base. No barriers of any kind, just a, a fairly rickety sign by the side of the road saying, Don't drive any further, old boy. Uh, yes. So they drive <laughs> straight Please in. Please go yeah, yeah, it's, Would you mind awfully? It's a secret here, you know. So hush hush, and, um, old chap. <laughs> one of the asteroids they found another one it's conveniently gone off in his um in dylan's face in dylan's face so
1: and the other thing is that the secret base that they were uh, trying to catch a look at is identical in design to the moon base that quatermass had been designing
0: so run vt on episode two and let's see what happens
1: absolutely we'll see you in a minute
0: So yes, uh, Sam was just pointed out, at the end of episode two, we're just round a, a table of very old, dull men who are a government inquiry. The thing on the face that at the beginning of the episode was, Dylan, uh, there's something on your face. Oh, it's gone now. Has uh, now become it's, something quite tangible.
1: It's a little bit of discoloration around the, ca- around the hairline.
0: Not a great deal happened in that episode. He, he just he investigated the uh, site with it's supposedly a food production plant, uh, of which there are identical ones in half a dozen other countries. He met Steptoe. He did meet Steptoe, Wilfred Bramble, uh, in another um, raggedy old man role, which is a bit ironic, really, considering in real life he was quite dapper and well-turned-out. And in respect to the various Yeah, uh, uh, and once you pick up on that, you can't turn it off. <laughs> But beyond that, there was nothing really of any... The picture quality's dropped in this one.
1: Yeah. It sets a lot of things up in this episode. Mm. And you see that with Doctor Who. Yeah, you Uh, do. Some of the middle episodes are there purely to set things up for later on in the the series. So you grab people with episode one and episode two gets things in place.
0: But I did notice that at the beginning of the episode, the guards took Dylan away, the monotone guards... And just trusted Quatermass to go on his own. They didn't escort him off the site. They just left him to wander or around. Or shoot him. Or shoot him. Nothing, nothing like that. It's a 1950s old boy. Different times. Different times. But the recap voice for this and I believe a couple of the other episodes is Nigel Neil himself.
1: Yes, and he appears later playing another vo- voice role.
0: It's a newsreader, I think, according to is that
1: Wikipedia? Yeah. No. No, it's a Tannoy announcer. A Tannoy announcer.
0: That's not, not a newsreader.
1: So yeah, not not a huge amount to say about this episode, uh, but it set the scene quite nicely for things, and we'll crack on with episode three.
0: Right, well that was episode three, we're about halfway in, and it is starting to pick up the pace a little bit.
1: It is, yes, and starting to get a bit nastier as well.
0: Yeah, a family of innocents just machine gunned on the beach and bundled into a car, with an arm dangling out of the window, strangely, they'd... uh,
1: well, it's been told along, but who else was going to see? There was the security guards who presumably shot them down. Hmm. You don't actually see that. So that was quite nasty. And we move on from the, the ministry of whoever looks after Quatermass's research to the, um, the food production plant. And Quatermass blags his way in there with a uh, <laughs> pet civil servant. And the guy who gets, gets him in there, is curious about what's going on, so he goes to investigate the plant by himself and ends up covered with slime, horrible, slime. slimy, corrosive poison and dies. So, the um, and his team realise that whatever is being made in that plant might be food, but it's not food for anything that could survive on Earth. They've also detected that there's an asteroid heading towards Earth, and they think that that's where these whatever they are are coming from. And cue
0: closing credits. Um, it, no, it is picking up the pace. It's the the whole thing is just moving a lot quicker than the first serial.
1: It is. I mean, having said that, we've only got the first two episodes of the first serial to mm. to go on, and this the second episode of that was starting to pick up pace from the first. So, yes. you further on in the, the serial, I'm not sure that's a fair comparison to make. Um, although I do agree that the first episode was a lot faster and tighter than the first episode yes, of the yeah. Quantum Experiment.
0: There's an underlying grimness about this, that it's basically quite a mass against the entire government.
1: Yeah, and it, there's also elements of it playing on the wartime paranoia, keeping things quiet. And this was only 10 years after the, the end of World War mm. II, so people would still, in living memory, know about keeping things quiet and loose lips cost lives and all that sort of thing.
0: But we're now moving into episode four, and this is the one... Which we do have with the warning beforehand. And we're fairly sure this is the first surviving example of something like this.
1: No, I think this is the first time the BBC transmitted a warning that it wasn't suitable for a ah, nervous right. disposition.
0: I mean, how or why it survives is a bit of a mystery. But we've got it. There it is.
1: Um, presumably, because it survived on the, the, on the front telerec- of their telerecording. Recording. Because it would have been, it would have gone out as live, so it would have been tele recorded mm. as it was going out, and it was regarded as part of the programme. Or perhaps they recorded a bit of um, lead in. Yes, possibly. But uh, anyway, we've got it. It's an interesting piece of television. Hello.
2: This episode of the Quatermass Experiment is rather nasty. Be careful. Before we begin the fourth episode of Quatermass Two, we'd like to say that, in our opinion, it is not suitable for children or for those of you who may have a nervous disposition end
0: of episode four and it really is picking up and it's gone quite dark as well
1: oh absolutely um episode five is my favorite episode on this and really is quite dark but we're not there quite yet we're talking about episode four
0: roger delgado's turned up as the news reporter and uh exited again
1: yes i think he was originally supposed to um be reprising the fuller love character from the Quatermass experiment. Mm-hmm. but in this case rather than just recasting they've um, created a new character who lasted for an, an episode but it was it was nice to see him. There's a really nice marrying of the the normal so the couple who are about to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary, which is a little bit Dam Buster's this is the last mission I'm going to fly and then I'll then I'll retire <laughs> because you just know something's gonna happen.
0: Well, I think the thing that gave it away was the light music, jaunty background music from the light programme uh, playing over, the, over that scene.
1: Yeah, and the and the, the cheery Irish singing and isn't this all going to be wonderful? Well, it's quite a mess. It probably isn't. So there was a really nice balance between the investigation that they're doing in the pub and the happy and jokey and the um, little bloke who looks like Von Smallhausen chipping in Basically repeating whatever the bloke before had said, and then you get into the plant and you see what it is that they're actually growing in the um, in the food vats, and it's nothing particularly special in terms of special effects. Looking at it now, but mm. sixty odd years ago, it must have looked fantastic.
0: Well, they're kind of in much like that on screen, so that as a cliffhanger, that must have had people for the week after completely.
1: Oh yes, absolutely.
0: Um, but we've had, we've had the um, the warning about a nervous disposition.
1: Yeah which I think actually belongs before the next episode rather than this one.
0: Well, I can't see anything in it, even
1: with... Unless it's the alieny things at the end. Possibly, possibly. Because, um, as you said, there wouldn't have been anything like that seen on television before. Yeah, there is that. And if this were, if this sort of film were... If this were done as a film and, and done in the cinema, then there would probably have been age restrictions on mm. it. So, well, onwards with episode five. Because it used to be... What did it used to be, the age... The...
0: Well, it's changed over the years. Well, uh, no, but yeah, this would have if, it, if this was a film,
1: it would have been an X.
0: Um, X was a bit later on. At this point, it would have, they had um, Universal,
1: wasn't it? U A X and double X.
0: No, that was later on. Because that, that's stage, what I remember was... for
1: a kid. Because X was horrors and double X was blue movies.
0: Well, at this stage in the fifties, it was H for horror. A for adults and U for universal. Those are the only three classifications oh, right. at okay. this time. I never knew that. Mm. Um, they've gone through quite a few iterations. X went out in, I think, 82 when it was given a revamp. And then the next major overhaul was in 2002. And that's the one we're using at the present day. So there's, there's been four or five revamps of the film classification system.
1: And but, was one of them sort of late 60s because of Tynum?
0: Yes, it was. Um, that was when we that was when we got X. And was double X in
1: there or was it just restricted?
0: It might have been double no, X. No, because
1: it was Tynum who brought in sexually explicit stuff. Prior mm. to that, there, there really hadn't been any.
0: Yeah, but this would have been an H, I would think. If it
1: would... Uh... Oh, absolutely. And it may well be that uh, that warning was because of that special effect at the end. And it, it looks good and it looks effective. It um, does
0: look... yeah, it does.
1: Although, does it look more... Is it more effective than the effect at the end of the Quatermass experiment? It's difficult to tell because we've only got a single still image of that. Anyway, time to crack on with episode, episode five. Episode
0: five. This is the one, yeah, your favourite, and mm-hmm. uh, the one with a, a magnificent off-screen death, apparently. So I look forward to that. Absolutely. Run so. the tape. Yep. So we've just done episode five. Simon has warned me that coming up in this is one of the most unpleasant off-screen deaths on television. And you're not far wrong. As
1: I can't think of a nasty one.
0: As a handful of men were stuffed into a... A pipeline in order to block it up, and there was blood oozing out of the other end as a result.
1: The plot of the episode is that Quatermass has persuaded the factory workers that the um, construction work that they're doing is feeding these aliens, and has raised enough doubt that they take over their, um, the plant and they start feeding oxygen instead of ammonia into the the dome where the aliens are living, and this starts to affect the aliens, starts to kill them off. And so they get increasingly more panicked, trying to persuade the, uh, the workers to, to give up. And they make the offer that they'll show the, uh, the workers anything in the plant that they want to see, which is what they, the workers stormed the plant for in the first place. So a group of them, under the leadership of the local shop steward, leave the, um, the control room where they've barricaded themselves to go and discuss things in a civilised manner with the, uh, the management. And they're shepherding the way and you used as pulp to block the pipe to stop the oxygen getting through. The way that the people inside the, the plant work out what their friends and colleagues have been used for is because blood starts running back through the tube that they blocked up. And one of them is so overcome by that, then he gets a bazooka that just happens to be lying around. A, I, a I was wondering For that. some reason. But I guess it's a load of gun in Act 1 to use it in Act 3
0: thing. The one thing that I've... The problem I've got with this is that the pressure dome is where... They've, just, they've blown this up and this huge fog has been released as everything... Which was
1: a... For the time, it was a really good effect. It was, it was
0: a tremendously good effect, particularly on how it was done. And excellent model work. Um, as you say, the, the dome being held underwater, filled with milk and then punctured gave a really good special effect. Yeah. My only problem with that is that surely that has now released more of this ammonia gas infection into the atmosphere, in theory. Now, it's been explicitly said in the storyline that it's wiped out with that particular base. There are now others around the planet that they've got to deal with.
1: And that's a very interesting point that you've made that will be addressed in episode 6. On the subject of which, shall we crack on to episode 6? Episode 6. So this is the Destroyers, the final episode of Quatermass 2.
0: Let's see how it all wraps up. Ron VT. That was the Destroyers, the last part of Quatermass 2. A massive slowdown in pace for the final episode.
1: Yeah, big change in direction after episode five, which is just fairly grim and horrible. Yeah. But brilliantly written and acted. Episode six goes in an odd direction and Quatermass and Pew go <laughs> off into space on their, in the rocket that they know is likely to blow up. And they're given medicals. Now,
0: that they both fail.
1: Neither of them would pass a medical to go to go into space. Um, but there's okay. no one
0: else can go, so we'll have to we'll have to let you go.
1: So what's the point in doing it? Um, the the doctor's saying none of, neither of you'll pass. But you know what? You're, gonna, you're going to you're going, die going anyway, to die anyway.
0: So there's a lot that falls yeah. apart in that last episode. It's a shame, really, because the the build-up's been pretty good up to this point.
1: And actually, when they make the film version. It stops at the launch of the rocket. They don't. They don't go onto the asteroid. They just use the. They launch the rocket at the asteroid to destroy it.
0: Oh, so the Quatermass's track record with rockets, they play on that and just well, they instead of instead of sending them off into space into a giant nuclear bomb, they actually just fire a nuclear bomb. Basically, yes. Mm.
1: Yeah. Although his track record with rocket, rockets is deliberately done like this.
0: But as you've just pointed out, at the very end, he destroys the Ammonids, which are only ever referred to as Ammonids in the recaps, never in the actual dialogue of the story. (coughs) I
1: think Quatermass, when he's in the pumping room, uses Ammonid as an adjective, but not as a noun.
0: You're so anal sometimes.
1: (laughs) I missed that bit. Entirely different conversation. (laughs) Um, but no, he, he calls them Ammonite creatures. But when it comes to the the recap, then it's the aminites. Mm. But that's probably a bit like the Chumblies, where they start off with Vicky just saying, oh, they make a sort of Chumbly sound, and by the end of the, the story, they are just called Chumblies.
0: But as you pointed out quite accurately, after he destroys the asteroid,
1: oh, yeah, and, then and
0: everybody returns to normal... And
1: Dylan's in the control room and returns to normal.
0: Or Dylan.
1: Or, yeah, yeah. Johnny. Hello. Dear Johnny. Uh, dear, dear Johnny. He returns to normal. So, happy days. The assumption is that everybody who was overtaken by the amonids has returned to normal. Including? Including Leo Pugh, who's just been blasted off into space. <laughs> and so they tell Quatermas this. And it's sort of, oh, happy days. Everybody's back to normal including your best friend, who has just been blasted off into space and now presumably realises exactly what's going on and the fact that he's about to die fairly horribly. Father, it's a good show, chaps. he's
0: going to be asphyxiated in space very, very slowly. Are you happy with that? It's a good result, what? Yeah, it's just... That final episode really lets it down. It's a shame. Mm. It plays out more like an episode one or two than an episode six.
1: It kind of plays out as a completely separate sequel. Mm. So it's almost like a sort of single episode season two finale. <laughs> in, the, in the way that modern TV shows go. Because the first five episodes just work brilliantly and build up the, the atmosphere and you get to the end of five and you just think, this is fantastic and also incredibly grim. And you get to episode six and think, what the hell are you two doing going into space? Well, you... How have you not realised that all of the armed guards that are there making sure that you can't get to the rocket have suddenly gone, oh, actually, we've just had a chat with the calculated bloke and we're just, we're just going to be over here. We're not going away. But actually, we're not going to do anything either. I'm, you know, do whatever you want with your rocket we're going to pretend that it, it just doesn't make a great deal
0: of sense. I think the problem with Quater, and, and indeed the first one, and probably three, the, the pit, they're way ahead of their time. Now, if, the, if this had been made, say it had been made by the Doctor Who production lot, 12, 13 years later, when Terran Sticks was sort of getting his feet under the script editing table, or certainly it would, it would have been script edited into something which was a lot tighter and made a lot more sense.
1: But the Doctor Who team could only come along and do that because it had built on previous shows like this. Oh no, I'm not. Because, no, I'm not yeah, I'm not saying uh, that. Prior to the Quatermass experiment, pretty much all the telly that was put out was either variety based on the music hall style or drama based on theatrical plays.
0: Oh, yeah, I get the, the, the sequence of events as to why Doctor Who was the way it was. What I mean is, if this had been produced in the same vein as Doctor Who in that period, mm. if this had come along during that period, and there'd been some forerunner that that paved the way for it to be in that sort of shape, it would have been a lot tighter serial. Basically, it was just way ahead of the time, I think.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely, and we are very lucky that it survives as fully as it do- does, because an awful lot from that I era... Mean, you can't really say science fiction This this area hasn't Just television because, in general. Because, well, no, because there's almost no science fiction prior to this. So that, there were the occasional plays like R.U.R. and the um, 1949 version of The Time Machine and a few other things, but nothing that was specifically written for television other than very child-oriented stuff. Hmm. So things like space school.
0: But in ter- just in terms of television in general, there's not a great deal from the 50s that survived because it just wasn't tele recorded or um, you know not vast chunks of it anyway, not like it was later on. this, this unless, was specifically it
1: was specifically done as mm. a film series with the intention of selling abroad. Adventures of Lancelot will had, has survived in its entirety mm. because the intention was to sell it abroad. Um, so we get to see William Russell looking terribly heroic. Hello.
0: Yeah, yeah RP English really is. It's terribly far back. Father, please don't go. I must go to the rocket, darling. A, no, no, please don't go, Daddy. I'm a, no, I must. I must go and fight the Ammonites and and kill everybody in order to save everybody.
1: Although, he does call himself Quatermass. Most of the other people will call him Quatermass.
0: Quatermass, yeah. just sounds oh. It does, rather, yes. so,
1: um But he calls himself Quatermass.
0: I'm Bernard Quatermass. I'm from up north. I'm a northern lad. We don't say bastard. We say bastard. Yeah, I just... I, the one thing I find out about the entire Quatermass... Canon is that they're all bloody different actors. It makes it quite difficult to. I mean, he is. I know that he's come under fire. He certainly came under fire from Nigel Neal, who just outright didn't like him. Every bit of production notes that I've ever read about this, and uh, uh, I've only read scamp bits about The Pit and the late 70s quest my serial, because I don't want to know what goes on. But having read the notes on this, he just didn't like John Robinson. Now, having watched him, I can't see a problem with his performance, personally. He's well, not Reginald Tate, it, it, and that's the problem.
1: It's not terribly polished right at the beginning, but that's because he was parachuted in as mm. a last-minute replacement. By the time he gets to the end of it, yes, he's, he's a bit staid and um, RP, but then they all are.
0: Yeah, Reginald Tate was.
1: Paula is... Stoic would be uh, I would,
0: She's so different from the rest of the cast I don't get that at all I mean she's, she was terribly RP yeah. and it's it's like somebody from the uh,
1: Judith Caron was in the first
0: one The Wife of the Astro Oh yeah I know yeah, no, I remember the character I just can't remember the actress who played her and how she played her
1: And we have actually seen two actresses playing Judith Caron. Yes really? we have Yeah,
0: in the remake Yeah but yet her... And
1: Paula doesn't come back in Quartermass in the Pit. That, that's the last receiver. There's
0: no continuity between characters or actors at all. Is, does anybody actually come back between series? Yes. Anyone I mean, with who
1: who? Um, fuller Love reappears in um, Quartermass in the Pit.
0: Same actor, though?
1: I think so. But nobody, when they were doing it, was expecting it to be watched and analysed in this depth in... Sixty five years
0: time. <laughs> but all in all, I'm I am glad it exists because otherwise yes. we couldn't have little evening get togethers like this or we'll discuss it in this level of detail and watch it and enjoy something that's sixty-five years old.
1: And still it's hugely entertaining. I mean we're picking it apart and we're picking it apart with love. And we're being we're quite drilling down with our, our criticism because mm. you have to. Because at the end of the day, it does its job. It's an a really entertaining piece of entertainment an enjoyable piece of television even 65 years later and there are some really really effective parts to it
0: well i'm just thinking about this at times the pipes it's time it's time in episode to... 5 oh the parts are is... horrible yeah again all done with dialogue yeah and a bit of red but
1: an utterly horrible mm. concept the thing about the the pipe sequence in Quatermass 2 is that it's a piece of utter horror Throwing something that isn't otherwise massively horrific. Mm.
0: Jamming human people, humans, in to a pipe who are still alive to stuff it up and crushing them in the process. Yeah, the imagination is a terrible thing on the quiet. But yes, so that's... That really has is, is summed up Quatermass 2 uh, at some point.
1: So we're, we're now halfway through the Quatermass We are. And, um, uh, so we've done the first two, and then we have Quatermass in the pit. We'll wait for that until it's been reissued on... Blu-ray, Blu-ray which Blu-ray. has just been
0: announced.
1: Yeah, and I think that's due out before the end of the year.
0: We shall do that in the new year. So we'll,
1: we'll do that in the new year.
0: If you've not seen Quatermass 2, it's well worth a while. The, the Quatermass so far... Bear in mind, I am the one that's coming to these fresh. I've never seen any of them before. I am enjoying them immensely. Um, I can heartily recommend giving them a watch. If nothing else, to see a bit of 50s TV that survives and the cosmic difference in production values between that and even 10 years later.
1: But still very effective. Very they? effective
0: and well worth a watch. But uh, So thanks for staying with us for six episodes. I hope you've enjoyed what we've had to say on it. And we'll see you next time for the next podcast. Goodbye now. Hello everyone, Ken here. To round off this edition of the podcast, we've got the second of our two-part interview with Rob Sherman. This was recorded at the Cavern Club at an event called Who in the Cavern, hosted by Erica Edgerton of the Wirral Doctor Who fan group. And at this point in the interview, Rob is talking about Christopher Eccleston and his time as Doctor Who.
2: It's the hardest thing he The first thing he did was BBC Breakfast. And they asked him once and he didn't know I anything. Mean, he just, he, he made, he, made up, he remembered the tones vaguely. He'd never really seen it. He just, I looked he, very nervous on Jonathan Ross, didn't he? Uh, oh, yeah. Before uh, the series started, and when he saw the figure of himself, it was real horror in his eyes. Of course, he would <laughs> be there but as well. It's that awful thing. That I've already mentioned yeah. he's a figurine of me. He was dying to say, i go on, gone. i Don't well, do this. Star, I mean, he, he's not someone. He, he's an incredibly hardworking actor, but he's an actor, and, and he likes acting. And he's not one of those people. It's one of those funny things because my my, my wife's an actress, and. There's, there's an assumption from people that if you're an actor, it's because you want attention and you want to be something in the street. And Chris is not a man who wants that. Chris uh, wants to act. Chris wants to perform and do a part. And so doing all the publicity stuff for it, mm. I don't think... I mean, I, he was very he happy to do it because he wanted people to watch it, but I don't think it's something that he... It, I think, was I think, it wasn't I think seeing a model of that,
1: because yes, David something. loves it. Oh, yeah
2: actually, there's a story about David. He, he, um, he's going out now, as you probably know, with uh, Supply Miles, who's going to the fireplace. <laughs> oh, right, oh, right. And she went over to his flat after they got together. And she saw his two merchandise. And she said, You should just tell some of them to send some of it back. Because he said, No, I had all this before. <laughs> 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 It's terribly funny. Yeah, it's really as much of a fan as, as anyone else. <laughs> yes, totally. Because right. I've been there for a few years and, yeah. you know, I mean, and it's so funny, with the doctor. I mean, I find that hilarious that he's now playing like the doctor. I, I find it bizarre because I remember two years ago I was talking to Gary Russell, and I'm a big fan of the comic book Looper Arkwright. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. they just done a uh, Big Finisher had just done it. Oh and I didn't know who was playing Luther Outright and I said to Gary Russell, I said, who's playing Luther Outright? He goes, oh, it's an actor a David Tennant. And I said, what are you doing? What's he doing? You know. yeah. I said, I wish you're really good at that. Okay. <coughs> but that's I saw him in mean, Blackpool in the yeah. TV show and I thought, bloody hell, he'd make a brilliant Doctor. The thing is, they would have been this new RFC a National Theatre actor for mm-hmm. years and yeah. in fact, actually the odd thing was, I felt really ashamed about it because I, I write at the National, that's what I actually do when I'm writing. Yeah. And I bumped into him there because, you know, he needs I the audience. So we never took about Blake's big finishing audio. He said, oh, you must come and see my uh, playoff. I said, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. And it's a it's a of an And I went, yeah, that'd be fun. And he was the lead. And I went to see it. Now, He's never off the stage for two and a half hours. And I thought, I thought he was probably a spear carrier. Because I just, he's yeah. not too fans, so I just assumed that action. Is <laughs> that really I, mean. I, the action, because he does the audio doesn't take any part, because he just had to do it. I, just, I didn't realise he was, he had that right. sort of status. Yeah. But he's a tremendous, you know, he, he was, he was Romeo from Romeo, for, in, the there's isn't a lot of excellent actors, aren't there, who you never see because you, know, the, the, you, you just need to be showcased yeah. in it in television I and was a huge star. not done much television. yeah, he uh, yeah, done bits and pieces, but nothing yeah. was that famous. And he just said to me that stage, I've been offered this thing called Blackpool. I'm like, yeah. I think I'm doing that. And of course, that's actually, that and then Casanova. Yeah, it's all at once, isn't it? Yeah. Right, yeah.
0: anybody got any questions? Is, Is there anything you'd like to have seen done differently? Is it how Dalek ended up on screen?
2: Sort of, but it's that funny thing that, I mean, I spent, I mean, I spent nine months writing and rewriting and rewriting writing to the point that, you know, if you look at my first draft now, it's got different characters in it, it, seems to me, and every single time it went through a change, you have to embrace that and move on. And by the time it reached the screen, I mean, there were things I would actually quite from my very first drafts to have ended up in there, it was different storyline things. But you have to let them go. I just actually believe that Joe Herland did such a good job directing it because the hard part is you hand it over and you're aware at that point that you have no power at all anymore and the director and the actors and everybody can do what they want to And looking back at the old oh, I chatted to of the writers in the old series, I was able to meet them and chat to them about it and of course they didn't have those sort of budgets that we had and then he would I was chat to Eric Saboard a bit and he'd say, Yeah, it's the difficulties is that you have these scripts and then we'd ruin them you know, he was, he, he was talking about the heartbroken, uh, you know, how people would just they'd go on and see the murker or whatever, and you think, well, that's really my story. And of course now, and, and it still could have done, I mean, I mean, I could have just had a really bad luck, and it's a very, very bad shoot, but I, I, I can watch it, and I can be very proud of it. There are things that, I mean, I, I probably would have wanted to have had another batch of writing Van that because he began to move away from what I wanted sometime before and I ought to perhaps have, he became a little bit too comic propelled for me by the end. But again, it was that thing that every time you try and build up the characters, quite rightly, all the notes would come back saying, "Yeah, but that means there's less die time, and it's really to bring back the dynamics of doing this. So could you please let the other characters go a bit? You have to just let them be a bit more functional." So, short answer, not really, <laughs> but but a bit, I suppose. Did
0: you write any things that actually weren't?
2: In the final edit? Oh, yeah, tons. Um, things that they actually filmed as well. But Dying was the first one that actually overran because every episode that they had they made before that underran. BBC had been so keen to try and save money on it that every single draft you'd get, they would cut and cut and cut and cut down to the bone. And actually, they was cut too much. I mean, Stephen Moffat has a story about how while he was in Australia, they were filming it and said, um, Do you want a scene now, overnight? but you haven't got any of the actors except for Nancy, and you've got the kids. You can't have the gas mask child, you can't have Doctor and Rose. So you wrote the scene with a typewriter, and they filmed it the next day, because it was only two minutes short the episode. Dalek was the first one that, because I always overwrite, they still have too much footage, and you didn't miss much. I mean, there was a sequence, which actually I think is now a bit silly, where when the Dalek downloads the internet, um, the Doctor comments upon how it's had to wade through thousands of pages of porn and attempts <laughs> to revive fucking the vampire song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's quite a funny joke. And that they turn it up. And you are watch the scene now and you think, no, that you wouldn't have been emotionally right. Nice. But, but, but I try to put a bit more comedy in, because I'm really a comedy writer and Dyke, very oddly, is probably the least funny one of that year. Which is odd, because other people are like um, and some of the other writers there were I mean we are all trying very hard to make it a serious programme I was trying to put a bit more comedy in uh, occasionally because so I just thought there was a danger it all being rather one note. Just trying to squeeze in a couple more yeah. questions uh, sorry. anyway, um, sorry, this is your here How was your latest finished scripts coming and what can you tell us about them? Oh god, they're so um, the question, I, Sorry, the question was yeah, uh, the, the, oh, the, the I'm doing a finished series I'm doing a, my own series It's 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 about the Borgias it's about the doctor living through about 100 years of Italian history um, just stuck there and going native and being part of that historical period and um, yeah, I mean, we'll start liking them soon um, they, they, they have said in Jason's very very amusing way they actually sent me a cheque recently for them and I never liked being paid before I'd written it because I was still very guilty and they know that so they sent me a cheque to say here you are We've paid you now, you have to deliver something. <laughs> so I really like to start this fact about four hours on there, it's quite a long thing. So I'm doing it around other T V shows I'm writing because it's it, it's a bit of fun. I mean I I am very I wanted to say one last final thing for Big Finish because without BF I never got the BBC job. And there was a worry that we all felt this actually mark and Paul as well that that people would, would assume that we were now too proud to do it. And we all feel that the big finish is a great, fun thing. So we all want, wanted to come back in some way and do something again. So, so this is my sort of way of showing off and saying, right, I'm doing the biggest story ever. And I've never written a historical before, and I love history. So it's an attempt to do something like that. But I really have, there's actually not one word of it yet really. So you could mug me and mug my bag and take my bag and you wouldn't find anything yet. But I, I must write something soon. True, I've rifled through it already. Yeah. of you, yeah. you did actually steal some stuff, didn't you? you, you, did stuff, didn't you? <laughs> <But> anyway, that's. <laughs> <laughs> my stuff, so. It's all right. No, no, it just no. some stuff. Right. Yeah. Sorry, was there was a question down here? Yes? Uh, with regards to how much control you have over your writing work, do you find you have more control with your big finished audios or the oh, character series? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah um, you have no control in TV. It, what, I mean, you, you go into a big TV show like Doctor Who and you, and you know that you're there to provide a service for that production team. Um, and you give them what they ask for and you try to put as much of yourself into it as possible. But I was always writing Dyke under. Uh, I mean, bless them, they always said we wanted to be your episode, we wanted to be something which, which you feel is entirely yours. But actually, um, they wanted that particular type of dialogue story, and that's what I wrote for them, and you have to let go of that. When you do the audios, yeah, you, it sort of feels like it's a much more personal thing. And if you're doing your own theatre, and radio, your own TV stuff, and I've, yeah, the, my own TV at the moment is in development, then yeah, I'll have more power over that. But actually, I think I think that's a good thing. I mean, you know, you, you need someone like Russell actually to to be the chap in charge and say, I don't want that, and that and that's good. Right, we're going to wind up there. Uh, I'm not sure if Eric is going to come back on the stage to. Yeah, thank you very much. Very entertaining. Thank
0: Hope you enjoyed that, everyone. I'm going to sign off now, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our Christmas podcast. See you soon. The Exton-Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.